Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new here in the room or online, um, I'm Charlie, lead pastor here. Really glad you are worshiping with us today uh, as we are wrapping up a series we've been doing over the last three weeks, the fourth week on money, and specifically the anxiety that we have around money. Talking about just, we, we have this overwhelming sense of just anxiety often about money. We talked about how it is the uh, the, the number two thing that is splitting apart marriages, it is the number one thing that people of almost every age would say that they are most worried about. And it's just kind of overwhelming, this anxiety that we have, and it just comes from a lot of different places. On the one hand, we have this sense and this pressure that we feel to, to be successful, to be thought of as successful, to be living at a high level, to to meet the, the standards of the people that we see around us. Well, my car has to be at least close to as nice as theirs and my house and what I wear and, and what we have and what we do and where we go on vacation. And there's this, this pressure that's kind of pushing us to live and act like we have more than what we really do. And so there's this pressure that we have, this anxiety that we have to always be acquiring more and it can feel overwhelming. And then at the same time, we've got voices in our culture or, or even, you know, random preachers that make, can think that you're making what you're saying is it's bad to have more. It's bad to have what you have. Everything that you have is wrong. You shouldn't have if somebody else doesn't have. And so you feel like you can't, you can't have enough. And that feels like one punch. And then, and then another punch comes over here. You've got too much. And then we start talking about it and you feel like, I'm doing so badly at this, then the shame punch just hits you right in the face. You don't have enough. You've got too much. And you're terrible at this. And you just feel overwhelmed. And so then Jesus comes in where we started this three weeks ago, Matthew chapter 6, where he says, you know what? You don't, don't be anxious about what you're going to have, about what you're going to eat. God loves you. He loves flowers, takes care of them, loves birds, takes care of them. He loves you more than both of those things. He's going to take care of you infinitely more than that. And that can either be um, a, a sense of comfort, and God's got this, and I don't have to feel anxious, or it's just one more punch, and God sees that you're anxious, and he thinks that's terrible. Pop. And it's just like every direction. You don't have enough. You have too much. You're terrible at this, and God's disappointed in you. And, it, and, and, you know, because, I mean, the last thing a lot of us want to hear when we're feeling anxious is, well, well, don't. Don't be anxious. Because, again, that just adds to this. But Jesus doesn't simply say that. He gives us kind of these two principles on either end of that verse that kind of help us understand what, that, what, what, what we can do to kind of really have that kind of victory. And the first thing he talks about is, um, don't store up for, don't focus your heart and life on acquiring treasures here because any treasure that you build here um, is going to disappear. But you can make treasure in heaven that will last forever because part of that anxiety is I, 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 I need to get stuff and stuff and stuff and it's going to make me feel better if I just have a little bit more, a little bit more, and then you have it and then it's gone. And that feels frustrating. And, and Jesus is like, exactly. That's why your heart and your treasure can't be there. It has to be up here. And then he goes on um, at the very end, so what we talked about last week, and he says this in Matthew 6, 33, he basically says, listen, if you will orient your life this way, 
or with your finances and with your life, you will make your top priority God's top priorities. And you will align your values with God's values. Then he's going to take care of everything else. It's a bold promise that Jesus makes, and we spoke about it very boldly last week. And if you were not here or did not hear that message, I know it is very self-promoting to say this. You know what you should do. You should go online, thegrovechurch.org. Go to our YouTube channel and check out last week. Like, you really should watch last week's message. It really is a, a it, it, there's, there's a powerful promise there that he's making. If you will seek God first in these ways, then... Um, He'll, he'll take care of you. And really, we can, we can feel the release of that rock in our stomach, that backpack of weights that we're carrying around with us and have real freedom and know that God is going to bless us in our finances. And the way that we talked about it was is kind of this way that we approach money, we, we, we kind of go with the flow of the way what seems right to us, but really the seek first, his kingdom, is really about swimming upstream against most of the ways that we think about money. We talked about this last week, and we'll just kind of review it a little bit here, that swimming upstream with your finances is difficult, but it's rewarding. So the way that most people think about their money, the way most people manage it anyways, you think, Okay, I've got a certain amount of money, and first thing I've got to do is make sure I have enough to pay all my bills and to have everything that I want and to live at my standard of living. And then if I have some money left, I'm going to, take, I'm going to, I'm going to save some of that for a rainy day in case something bad happens. And then, and then if I've got some money left, I'm going to take some of that and save it towards big things in the future. And then if I have some money left, I, I, will, I will give that away. I will give that to God. And that is the normal way that people think about money. And it is nothing but anxiety-inducing. Because you can never have enough here. Rainy days, emergencies are always coming. The future is looming. And I'm, I'm not doing what God has called me to do. And so this is nothing but anxiety. It feels normal, but it feeds that anxiety. The other way, it, it can feel weird. It can even sound weird. But it is the path that God has given us to real freedom that the first thing that I need to do is to take the first part of what God has given me. I'm going to give it back to him. And then I'm going to save for the future. Then I'm going to set money aside for emergencies. And then I'm going to live on the rest. Everything about culture, everything about, I think a lot of our instincts tells us the opposite of that, to go this way. But what Jesus is saying is, if you will go this way, you will align yourself first with God's priorities. You will manage your money according to God's values. It says that God will take care of everything else. And so what we want to do for the rest of our time today as we kind of wrap up the series is just talk a little bit maybe about some practical things, some practical ideas of things that we can do to kind of explain all four of these, these things in order. So we're talking about really what it means to be swimming upstream with our finances, going this way. And the first principle, the first thing that we need to make sure that we understand is that we have to give back to God first. Give back to God first. We're going to be looking at Proverbs, and Proverbs is a cool book. It's right after Psalms. God, it's just a book of wisdom, and a lot of it is um, uh, money principles. So give back to God first. It says this in Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So again, just like the seek first his kingdom 
and all these things will be added to you, we have a conditional promise here. And the conditional promise is if you will honor God first, you will honor God first, then he is going to overwhelmingly bless you. Not just bless you a little bit, not just simply take care of you, but overwhelmingly bless you. But it says that first you have to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, first fruits is not an expression that we use a lot. Um, I mean, it's more of a farming term. But the idea of first fruits is, at its simplest, is to say that I'm going to give back to God the first and best of what I have. You can think about it in terms of your money. You can think about it in terms of your time. You can think about it in terms of everything. I don't got, give God my leftovers of anything. I don't give him my leftover time. I don't give him my leftover money. I give him the first and the best of what I have. And what God has said all throughout the scripture is, is that there is a portion of what he has, he has given you everything. And there is a portion of that that he claims for his own. It is his, it is always his, and he is asking for it back. Historically, that has been called a tithe, and it refers to 10%. And it's not talking about any 10%. It's not talking about if you can make it. It's talking about I am going to, I'm going to give to God the first of what I have, and I'm going to give it back to him. It says that it, says it, it belongs to him. It is his. And um, in Malachi, there's this really interesting verse where he, he, he talks about this and he starts talking about the tithe. And we talk about this a little bit in Connections. We say that there are three reasons why it's important to give back to God in this way. One, that it's right. It's the right thing to do. It's um, God blesses generosity. And third, God uses what you give to change the world. And the first one of those, I think, often is the one that sometimes I think that we ignore the most. This is a command from the God of the universe. It's not a suggestion. There aren't ranking systems and commands. I mean, the same book that says, the same idea, the same God that says, don't kill, don't steal, he says, you owe me, you are to give back to me this portion, it belongs to me. And this verse in Malachi refers to it that way. He talks to the people and says, you are not giving me my tithe. And he refers to it as robbery. You are taking from me. You are robbing me, which is very strong language. It's very strong language, but it is God saying, this is a command. But the interesting thing, the amazing thing really about commands from God is they're, not, they're never just random They are meant to design to orient you and your heart and your life to the best way of living. And so he commands, he says, you have to do this. And if you don't, you're stealing from me. And then he says something incredible. He says, I want you to test me. You can look in the Bible as like, it doesn't really talk about God doesn't like to be tested. Don't put God to the test. Anybody who you ask God why and nothing, almost nothing good happens from people that we go, God, why? Like, mm, lightning bolts somewhere around here. Right? It, it, it's not good. It's like, but he says, test me on this. Watch and see. You give to me and just watch how I'll bless you. Just try, just try me. I mean, normally somebody says, try me. You're like, you're intimidated by them. It's not a good thing. Especially the God of the universe. All right, test me. Try me. You're like, eh. Just See how much I'll bless you if you'll just trust me. Try it, try it. 
And, and that's what this says here. Your barns will overflow. Your vats will flow with wine. It says the same thing in Corinthians. It says, you know, you, you give to God generously and he will bless you generously. Sometimes that's financial. It's always spiritual and relational, emotional. The blessing, the overwhelming blessing of God. That's what we want. That's, what, that's, that's our desperate prayer when you open up the checkbook and, and the things are bad and you don't know what to do and you can't pay the bills and the credit cards and all the things. You say, God, I need some help. He's already said, here's how I will not just help you, but overwhelmingly bless you. And it starts here. It starts by saying, I am going to give the first and best of what I have to God. But the reality is, is that generosity is a lost art. The idea of being generous, it's, it's fading away. And the closer and closer we get to the election, and probably even after the election, you're just going to hear little political jabs like this from me because I'm growing more cynical of the whole system all the time. Because I think our... our <laughs> Generosity is dying because, in part because we've got two political parties pushing against it. We've got one that looks at, often looks at hurting people and says, you did this, fix, you fix it. And I'm helping you by making you help yourself. And you've got another group of people that says, no, 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 we need to help them. And by we, I mean them. People richer than me are, should be paying more money to help them. And generosity is not mine, it's theirs. And so generosity and help and, and kindness and compassion are delegated or, or assigned to people who have more money than me, assigned to government, or really this is all your fault, you take care of it yourself. And generosity and the ability to help others and to use your finances to make a difference in the lives of other people is always on somebody else other than you. And generosity dies. And God looks at his people and says, it's actually on all of you. You are to take what you have and use it to bring my gospel to the world and to bring hope and life to individual people. And that is by being generous with your money. And I'm going to say this, this is kind of, I, I told Heidi I've been struggling with this all week that I wanted to keep this at kind of money talk 101. But I'm going to give you just a couple little 201 advices too. Like generous, God wants you to be generous. The first 10% he says belongs to him. Not being particularly generous with God by giving back to him what he says belongs to him. Generous is in the overflow of that. That's when the blessing really starts to multiply. God promises in Malachi, if you'll just do this, if you'll just do this, I'll bless you. But the blessing starts to multiply with generosity. And generosity is dying, and it is up to his people to bring it back. But we have this problem. There's always, there's always a good reason why not to. Like you're poor, and you feel like you don't have very much money. And it's like, oh, I just don't really have very much money. But once we get to a certain level, then we'll be able to do it. Or you're already living at a certain level, and you've never made this a priority, and you're like, 10%. 10% of what I have, that's, 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 that's not small. That's not a small amount. And so either way, you feel like you want to defer it. But the reality of it is you have a lot of resources. 
You have enough resources to do this. You just need to dial it back. But if you don't have very much resources, I'm telling you, one of the best decisions we ever made as a family when we first got married, we didn't have any money, and we gave 10% of it away. It was, it was, it was great. It was like, you can barely live off of this. You take 10% of away from that, it's not very much. Living off 90% of that, just, just the same. Like, you, you can have nothing or 90% of nothing. And it's like, I can give live off 90% of nothing just as well as I can 100% of nothing. And so you just, you disciplined yourself to kind of say from the very beginning, we're just going to do this. And so the younger you are right now, I beg you to go ahead and start doing it now. You think one day you're going to have enough and never works. You never have enough. This thing where I focus on what I have, you're, there's always one more thing that you wish you had. What, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. And then the anxiety starts because we didn't start this way by saying that I'm going to give back to God. So whether you have a little bit or a lot or somewhere in between, you must begin there by saying that I'm going to give back to God first. And some people want to debate about whether or not it should go to the church or to just to help people in general or to missions. Does the church get 10? Does everybody get to rest? We do, uh, I just dare you. Just give 10% to something. We'll figure, we'll figure it out on the back end. If everybody just started giving 10% to meet the needs of God's people and God's priorities around the world, then all the organizations will be like, we got so much money, we don't know what to do with this. We'll just start giving it back to each other to make sure we've all got it. Let's just make that decision and we'll sort those other details out on the back end. This is about you, not about whether the church gets the money or missions get the money or homeless get the money, whatever. It's, it's about you and your priorities. Take what God has given you and give it back. And that's first, you give back to God first. The second, invest in the future. Proverbs 21.20. Proverbs 21.20 says, um, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. So the wise person says, Well, I mean, I've got, look at all this wine I've got. Look at all this food I've got. I'm just going to, I'm just going to consume all of it. So that's what an idiot does. But a wise person says, I'm going to take this and put it aside for a time when I know that I'm not going to have it. Right now, when you're working right now at this season of your life, he's like, well, I can produce enough resources in order to be able to live. But there will come a time in your life where you may not be able to do that. And you need to be saving for that. You need to be saving for your retirement. You need to be saving for big things that are coming in your future. And you have to do, you need to do that right now as soon as possible, as quickly as possible. Again, you don't need to wait. Same thing with giving. Um, same thing. We, we, we made this decision too when we first got married. It was like, well, this is what we're supposed to do. Like, we're, we were too dumb to know that we didn't have enough money to do this. We just did it. And, and we bought a house sooner than we should have. We've been able to help fund our kids' college education. All because when we were too young and dumb to know that we shouldn't be saving money, I mean, it multiplies fast. And it makes more sense to give a little bit when you're young than it does to wait until you to, to save a lot when you're older. But it is never too late to start. It is never too late to do this. But here's the thing. You need to meet with a financial planner of some kind. The people who are just, they, they, they're, they're smart at this. They've got uh, amazing 
charts and spreadsheets and, and a click buttons and really cool things happen and you learn a lot. And some of you might get overwhelmed, but if you like math and spreadsheets, it's, it's awesome. And, and, and they can tell you what you need to do and they can help you figure all of this out. And, and, and ultimately, you will be prepared for the major things in your life that are coming your way. And you, you cannot wait for this. This has to happen right now. But this thing is that happens, well, I'm just not quite there yet. I'm not just quite there yet. If this and this and this, and you're always just kind of one lucky break away from being able to organize your finances in the right way. And that lucky break never happens. And then even when it does, all it is to bail you out a little bit of the mistakes I've already made. And I, and I can't ever seem to get on top of it. But it requires the discipline right now to say that I'm going to start here. I'm going to start by giving. I'm going to start next investing. And then ultimately, the next thing is, is you need to save for an emergency which is a little bit different than long-term saving to short-term savings. And well, again, back to Proverbs. Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> I don't know why I love that word so much. I, I, I mean, it's like, I, I was sitting there saying, hey, we're not trying to bring, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't have enough. You got too much. I'm terrible at this. And then the shame, like, I'm, I'm not trying to bring shame. And here I am just, just right here in the middle of Proverbs. Go to the ant, sluggard. Lazy. <clears throat> Go to the ant, sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. It's like here you got this ant. He didn't have a boss. He's not being taxed. He doesn't have a government. Not anybody telling him what to do. He's just an ant. And what does an ant do? He's like... Oh, it's summertime. I need to gather all this food. But you know what? Someday, it's not, in a few months, it's not going to be summer. I'm not going to be able to have food. I need to store up food to, to eat food when I can't get food. Consider that, sluggard. And, and for yourself, like, I have enough right now, but there's going to come a time where I might not have enough. And something might happen, and I need to be saving and putting stuff away for that. We have this thing where it's like we talk about, oh, man, I was doing really well with my finances until we had this unexpected expense. And the things that fall into unexpected expenses often are like, something happened to our car. Okay, so here's what we're going to do right now. You ready? 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 In the next 12 months, something is going to happen to your car. It, it is. Something is going to happen to your car in the next 12 months. So now what have we've done is we have moved it. We have moved it from unexpected expense to expected expense. You now need to expect it. Expect that it's going to happen. And so you can't, you know, I, what do you do for expected expenses? Well, you plan for them. So you take a little bit of money and you say, usually these things are about 500 bucks. I need to make sure I've always got $500 for that. Another thing that is clearly in the expected is your car insurance, Right? And it comes every three months, every six months, or whatever. If you're not paying that thing every month, and that three months, six months, you're like, whoa, this is unexpected. Like, what do you mean unexpected? It comes all the time. You're wanting to go on vacation at some point next year. That's not unexpected. There's a difference between unexpected and unplanned for. You, these things are expected to happen. And if you are living your life to the margins here, and suddenly you're like, I want to go on vacation. 
the car broke down. Someone got sick. This big thing that we knew was going to happen. You know, something happens to the, to, the, to, the, to the air conditioner in our house. Something happens to the roof. Something ha- Like, these things happen, and they are only unexpected for people who aren't paying attention. Maybe the particular thing is unexpected, but the unexpected should be expected, and it needs to be planned for. We unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, it depends on what you're coming. Apparently, we are now in the situation now where we own a fleet of vehicles. It's not because we are wealthy; it's because there's just a lot of adults running around all of a sudden. And 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 now we've got four cars for it. And, and it's like it's this thing where it's like it just all happened within just a couple of months. Everybody was like pop 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 pop. So the unexpected, it chose to not spread itself out. It's supposed to evenly distribute itself, right? Like once a quarter would be just fine. But it didn't. Oh, no. Wait, not oh, no. We, we knew this was going to happen, and it's okay. I, I was, we've, got, we've got five savings accounts. And one of them is for vacation, and one of them is for car, and one of them is for taxes. And we just, we know these things are coming, and so we prepare for them by taking money aside at the very beginning of the month, and it just automatically disappears. No temptation to spend it, it's not even there. And there are things like that that you need to do to make sure that when these expected but unplanned for expenses become planned for expenses... And so then the stress and the anxiety of that goes away. So you cannot live life to the margin. So you've got, let's just say after you've done this, I've, I've given, I'm saving. Well, now I'm here, I've got this money. You can't live on, let's say you have $1,000 left over, whether that's weekly, twice a month, every month, whatever. I got $1,000 left. You can't spend that 1000 Because it's not just I have 1000 for this week, this two weeks, this month. It is I've got 12 of these, 24 of these, 52 of these, and they're all going to happen. And during this time, all of these other things are going to happen, and I need to be ready for it. And I would think that it would go without saying, but obviously I don't think that because I'm going to say it. Does go with, it does go with saying. It does go with saying that... <laughs> this row over here... Um, Credit cards, stop. Just, just stop with it. You, not only can you not, should you not be trying to spend 100% of this, you most certainly should not be spending 105% of it. Oh, but Charlie, I got this credit card and it's 0% interest for 12 months and, and, and so it's not really costing me anything. It's like they're, they're giving the money away, except they're not. And then after that 12 months, I'll put an extra 100, spend an extra 100, extra 100. And then after 12 months, you haven't paid it off. You've just got $1,200 and that, and that interest that they're not charging you, they've been keeping up with it. They know what they would have charged you. And then 12 months goes by and there it is. And then suddenly you're like, what's happened? I've got to start paying this off. But you don't know how to pay it off because you're spending more than you make anyway. And now you start making minimum payments. And you know, that's like... I'm not trying to shame you, but that's really dumb. 
Have you seen the thing they have it on your credit card statement now? If you make the minimum payment on this, it will only take you 43 years to pay this off. And and in 43 years, you will have paid an extra $10,000 on the $1,000 that you have right now. Like like some government credit agency is making them put that on there. But it's not helping it because people just blow it right past it. Well, I'm, I'm only looking for one number on this thing. Minimum payment due. And then you pay $15. And your interest charge for that month was $50. Now, I'm a math major, so I don't want to assume anything. But just let's make sure we all understand. If you're paying $15 on a credit card they're charging you $50 on that card are you paying down that bill yes or no no okay all right Woo! we win today right you got you you can't not only can you no it's not simply not overspend you need to underspend and then ultimately this the unexpected twist at the end enjoy life with what remains After all the guilt, after all the shame, after all the things and anxiety that we feel about money, and I'm sitting here at church and we're talking about it, the last thing you would expect is for someone to say, and you know what, just whatever's left, man, just enjoy life. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 5, 18 and 20 says this. This is what I've observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor. Of all the things that are that you think are in the Bible that aren't, the surprising thing is that the one that is is eat, drink, and be merry. Find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Now, I don't want to give you the wrong impression about Ecclesiastes and somehow this is an optimistic, fun book. Because actually, this is, this is actually a conclusion based on a lot of depressing things that he's noticed. But the reality of it is, it's like, man, it is a rare thing. It is a rare thing to be able to have lived your life in a way where I'm giving appropriately, I'm saving appropriately, I'm, I'm prepared appropriately. It is a rare thing for someone to be able to just then have and live. And if you can do that, that is a gift from God and you should just enjoy it. And it says you're not going you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're gonna have to be thinking about all the bad things. Because God has overwhelmed you with with contentment in life. That is a rare thing, he says. And uh, several thousand years later, it's not any less rare. I was talking to a guy uh, last week or so, and he was telling me about his hobby and spending some money on his hobby, and he felt bad about it. You're talking to a preacher, you're talking about spending money on a hobby, right? You gotta feel guilty about it. And I asked him, like, you, uh, tithing? Yeah. You saving for retirement? Yeah. Your kid going to be able to go to school? Yeah. If your car broke down, would you be able to pay for it? Yeah. Man. Enjoy it. 
he was surprised I said it. Maybe even I was surprised I said it. I mean, it's like, because there's all this pressure again from the world that says you should feel guilty about what having about having something if someone else doesn't. But what God is calling you to is not to compare yourself in either direction. Not based on, I don't have enough, I've got too much. He's calling you to live your life a certain way. To give, to, to plan, to prepare, and then to enjoy the life He's given you. And I'm not going to be frustrated that mine is less or more than yours. I'm just going to enjoy what God has given me and the life He has given me. And be free from the burden and the overwhelming anxiety that comes at us from three, four, five, every possible direction. Because I am going to seek Him first. His priorities, His values for my money, for my life, and all of the things will be added to me as well. I don't want to, I will say, well, this is easy to say, but it's hard to do. It's not easy to say either I'm uncomfortable, you're uncomfortable, it's weird. But it is easier to talk about than it is to do it. Seek help. It's okay. It's okay that you have not been able to do this up until this point. But it's not going to be okay tomorrow. we got to stop. we got to make an individual and collective commitment to say that I'm not going to keep doing the things that I'm doing. I'm going to reorient my life and my priorities around God's priorities. And I'm going to humble myself to get the help that I need. There's financial planners in our church. There's just wise people in our church. There is, there's, there's good information out there on the internet. There's, pe- there's friends that you have that can just help you be accountable. There's some steps, some real practical steps that you can do to get from where you are to where you need to be. Let's pray for each other that we